Good afternoon, Lafayette. This is Joe Cunningham here on the Joe Cunningham Show. News Talk 96.5, KPL 232-1542. If you want to be part of the conversation, you can send a message through the KPL app chat as well. There is some breaking news to get into. This uh, came out a little while ago, but we have uh, confirmed uh, with one of the sources mentioned in the current story about this. The state legislative auditor's office has apparently opened an investigation uh, into Lafayette Parish government. It's not entirely clear what they're investigating. Of course, there are a lot of legal battles uh, surrounding the uh, drainage projects, the the uh, detention ponds, things like that, uh, that the Guillory administration has been uh part of has been uh, going through with the current reported earlier today that the legislative auditor's office was in town. Roger Harris, the legislative auditor office, executive counsel and assistant legislative auditor for investigation spoke with KPL news a little while ago, but could only confirm his agency was conducting an investigation audit at LCG and that they were in Lafayette today to open that investigation. He would not say what the investigation was about. The current, however, spoke to a property owner in Lafayette, Ed Francis, who owns one-third of the St. Martin Parish property LCG destroyed early last year when it secretly removed decades-old spoil banks. This is, again, from The Current. Uh, So if you'll recall, uh, LCG tore down some spoil bank uh, construction on property on the Vermilion River that had been bought by St. Martin Parish. So St. Martin Parish and Lafayette Parish are currently in the middle of legal battles there. That's actually, I think, in federal court. Uh, But the property owner, Francis, says that um, the legislative auditor's office knocked on his door today as well. Uh, He says it was obvious to him the investigators had done their homework uh, their qu- this is a quote from him. Their questions were specific to my piece of property. They seemed to understand everything that went on. Their basic focus was you own one third, the city owns one third, and they took your dirt and your trees. That it was about the spoil bank project. They didn't go into any other issues. So if that is the case, it looks like it's going into one specific uh, legal issue there, which is the spoil bank uh, issue between St. Martin Parish and Lafayette Parish. We will uh, keep you apprised of that story as it develops. I am sure that will probably lead to some questions on Thursday morning for Lafayette Live when Mayor President Josh Guillory will be in the studio uh, with Brandon and Bernie. But that is kind of the breaking local news of the moment. Again, the state legislative auditor's office has opened an investigation uh, into... It appears the Spoil Bank project, we don't have that confirmed, however, but they are looking into uh, apparently these uh, at least one of these projects by LCG. So um, that's all we've got on that. Again, no official confirmation. I imagine we may get something down the road, but no promises on that. Now, I want to get into... The story that, you know, really came out yesterday. Of course, I wasn't here with y'all yesterday. I was on my way back from a long weekend. Uh, We went to visit family in Texas, and it was a nice weekend. 
I am glad to be back, however. I'm glad to be back with y'all. Yesterday, the Louisiana GOP, in an article or an op-ed column, whatever you want to call it, written by Chairman uh, Louis Gervich, uh, basically said, okay, no more Republicans jump in. And in particular, called out Congressman Garrett Graves. Uh, Here's what uh, Garvich wrote. So where are we at this early stage of the race? Jeff Landry has declared, as have two other candidates, each polling at about 1%. But the word on the street is that Congressman Garrett Graves of Louisiana's 6th Congressional District will declare for the race this week. I will frankly admit that I like Garrett Graves. He is just plain likable, and he is an effective voice for conservatives in Congress. What's more, I think he will go far in the House. Following in the footsteps of Steve Scalise and Mike Johnson, he almost certainly has a future in senior leadership. That's why I believe he would be making a terrible mistake by leaving Congress for the governor's mansion. Garvich lists five reasons he thinks it would be a mistake. Garrett was just reelected to Congress. Republicans only have a four-seat margin in this Congress, so he needs to be in D.C. to vote on everything possible, not be around the state campaigning. If he were to win the governor's race, he would have to resign from Congress, narrowing that margin in the U.S. House. Uh, If he does enter the governor's race, he will start well behind Jeff Landry in terms of popularity, and the L.A. GOP has already united behind Jeff Landry, and donations are flooding in. That latter part, I think, is the, the latter two points are, I think, the key here. And I don't know, I don't know Garrett Graves, don't know much about him, certainly haven't talked to him or any of his people. Uh, but those last two points are pretty important. You need probably at minimum $6 million to jump into this game to have any effective shot whatsoever. Schroeder and uh, John, State Treasurer John Schroeder, uh, State Senator uh, Sharon Hewitt don't have that. Very hard to see them getting that. The donors are lining up with the GOP, with the party at this point. Jeff Landry's got his own campaign money. He's got a a pack of his own. Uh, The GOP has its money. All in all, right now, Jeff Landry's sitting on about $7.5 million. I think uh, that was the same figure that Jeremy Alford gave to Brandon and Bernie this morning on Acadiana's Morning News. And Jeff Landry has the polling advantage. I mean, he is, with uh, John Kennedy not being in the race, Jeff Landry is the most popular Republican out there. If J- I mean, John Kennedy is probably the most popular Republican elected statewide in Louisiana, but he's not running in this race. The second most popular is very clearly Jeff Landry. I agree with Garvich. It's a mistake for Graves to hop in. There's also something here, though, that I want to tie in to a much larger story, one outside of the state. In Louisiana, we are certainly very used to multiple Republicans being in there, splitting the vote. I mean, if you'll recall in 2016, Donald Trump became the nominee with the smallest percentage of primary voters in the history of the Republican Party. That's just a fact. Because there were so many Republicans and the vote was split so narrowly, Donald Trump had the smallest percentage of Republican primary voters of any Republican nominee. And it was a very bitter primary. And Donald Trump won the nomination, and yes, he won the presidency. Likewise, in 2020, Joe Biden was a little bit better because he had a... he had a lot of people behind him. Uh, A lot of the Democratic establishment 
uh, got behind Joe Biden very early. But at the same time, it was still a longer primary process than the Democrats really wanted because they had so many of their own in there. Once Joe Biden got in, everybody was kind of hoping people would start to drift out. But that still split the Democratic vote. And we're still seeing the results of those split. We we talk a lot about the Republican split, the conservatives versus the establishment, and the media and the Democrats like to ignore the splits within their own party. Those splits, if you go looking for them, are actually just as bad as the splits in the Republican Party. But the splits that come out in the primaries are the ones that are really problematic. And that's what Louisiana faces if we get another race with, I mean, we have three Republicans in right now. We've got an independent. We don't have any Democrats yet. We likely will get at least one. And we're a jungle primary state. So that's five candidates right there. The vote being split between five candidates. All right, so let's be clear. The independent vote, the, the, the one independent, Hunter Lundy, probably not going to get a whole lot. If the Democrats split their vote, so much the better for Republicans. But if there's only one Democrat in, then you have the Republican vote split three ways, most of which going to Jeff Landry. But the Republican vote still split three ways. And the Democratic vote consolidating behind one person. The problem is money. Again, you need probably $6 million to jump into this game and play it properly. Schroeder and Hewitt, I don't think, are going to get that. The same problem is happening at the national level for Republicans right now. There's a discussion going on behind the scenes, and I want to talk about that when we come back, because it ties into Louisiana, like I said, but it ties into something that we all need to be paying attention to, and something, frankly, I've talked a little bit about before, the money issue in the Republican Party. Let's take this break. When we come back, I will go into all that, plus your calls and messages on the KPL app right here on the Joe Cunningham Show. News Talk 96.5 KPL. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5 KPL 232-1542 if you want to be part of the conversation or send a message through the KPL app chat. So in the Louisiana governor's race, you have the Louisiana GOP writing a column basically saying, Garrett Graves, don't do this. Don't jump in. The rumor is he wants to jump in sometime this week. No idea if he's going to or not. But the Louisiana GOP is realizing something that I think the national GOP is about to discover. And that is the risk of such high numbers getting involved in the races. The problem that the Republican Party in the state of Louisiana has figured out that they have is that that when there are so many candidates in the same party in there, there are a lot of distractions. Again, saw that in 2016, saw that in 2020 with the Democratic Party. And we've, of course, seen that in Louisiana, what happens when you have multiple Republicans who are more hell-bent on attacking each other than actually running for governor. Nationally, it sounds like there are some elements of the Republican Party that are understanding this issue as well. Axios had a story, I want to say Sunday. Yeah, Sunday. Or Monday morning. Yeah, Monday morning. Sorry. 
the long weekend threw me off. On Monday morning, Axios had a story out, say, and it basically pointed out that right now you only have one declared Republican candidate for 2024, and that's Donald Trump. Everybody else is looking at Ron DeSantis. And nobody else is jumping in right now. Ron DeSantis is not going to make a decision before probably April because he's got a pretty critical legislative session coming up. Of the other potential contenders, South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley will probably be one of the first out of the gate. She apparently is already staffing up her future presidential operation. Top advisors are making plans to move to her base in South Carolina. Uh, Mike Pence is waiting. He's There's no set date when he might. He is just waiting. His advisors seem to think the longer it takes uh, or the longer he waits, the better it is for him to kind of come across as uh, an alternative. Uh, you have Mike Pompeo, who's currently on a book tour trying to sell his book. He's not going to get in for a while. Glenn Youngkin of Virginia, uh, like like uh, Ron DeSantis, has a pretty vital legislative session coming up. He's not going to make any moves until late, uh, deep into the spring, maybe close to summer. Uh, Tim Scott's not going to make any moves. Um, some of the other Republicans, Christy Noem, uh, not sure about Christy Noem. I'm frankly not sure she's going to run at all. But you have all of these Republicans who want to jump in, but are waiting, kind of like here in Louisiana, when a bunch of Republicans wanted to jump in, but they were waiting on John Kennedy. And while they were all waiting on that, Jeff Landry went ahead and jumped in and then secured the Louisiana GOP support, and the donors are lining up behind him. Much like candidates at the national level are waiting on Ron DeSantis, so are the donors. Donald Trump has been getting a lot of small-dollar donors, don't get me wrong, but the big donors in the Republican Party, they haven't picked a dog in the fight yet. There's been some movement toward consolidating behind Ron DeSantis, but you can't really consolidate behind somebody who hasn't declared yet. And while they're waiting on him, the others are staying out because they, they really what they really want to see is Donald Trump and Ron DeSantis go at each other. Ron DeSantis is not going to jump in to that mud pit with Donald Trump. He's going to stay out of it. And he's not going to declare until this legislative session is over. So it's really just Trump, whose campaign hasn't really done much of anything since he declared. So because the race is pretty much stagnant right now, nobody's making any moves. The problem, I don't know if y'all know this, but the first primaries are a year from now meaning the first debates are less than a year away. In 2023, the first Republican debates will be held. And maybe the first Democratic debates if Joe Biden runs, or if he decides not to run, rather. So if people aren't making their move until April or May, you only have so long to get your operation going before you start debating. And the debates are really going to be what sets the stage as to where the donors really go. I imagine that the donors really, really want to make a move right now. They want to consolidate, but there is nobody to consolidate behind because nobody else has declared. I think 
I really think that those donors aren't going to just pick one horse to back, but they're going to consolidate around two or three others. And I think it's not going to be Donald Trump. I think Donald Trump has a ton of small dollar donor support. But the big donors are going to choose, I don't know, DeSantis, Nikki Haley, uh, Glenn Youngkin, whoever else. They're not going to go with Trump. Trump's got the small dollar money already. But they're going to find they're going to find a few other candidates to support and throw their money behind and let them fight it out. That's what I think is going to happen. But right now, we don't know much of anything, just like here in Louisiana for the governor's race. We don't know much other than Jeff Landry is the favorite. Right now, we know in the national race, Donald Trump has a bunch of money. A lot of people want Ron DeSantis to run. That's the facts that we have right now. All right, 232-1542, your messages on the KPL app. We're going to our bottom of the hour news break. We'll be right back on News Talk 96.5 KPL. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5 KPL 232-1542. If you want to be part of the program. So the New York Times wrote an article over the weekend that is supposed to be a defense of affirmative action. The entire point of the um, of the article is to say, oh, this is what's going to happen to uh, diversity in universities if the Supreme Court uh, rules against affirmative action. Uh, affirmative action is basically if you take two candidates of equal qualification, but one is of an underrepresented minority, you pick that person oftentimes comes down to race. Well, affirmative action in college universities has discriminated against not just white, but also Asian American students in favor of, in particular, black and Hispanic students. The problem is that, in particular with the Asian American students, making a judgment as to who to accept or not based on race kind of goes against the whole idea of combating racism, right? The idea of equality. Again, this goes back to the idea of equality versus equity. Equality is where everybody gets equal treatment. Equity is spoken of as taking from one and giving to another, the problem is we rarely get to that second step. It becomes more of just taking away until everybody's at the same level. But affirmative action was this idea that people came up with as a way to try to increase diversity, increase minority representation in schools. The New York Times is panicking about underrepresented demographics in universities and it becoming worse if the Supreme Court rules against affirmative action. They've listened to a case on it. The conservatives sounded very skeptical. They have the majority. Uh, Looks like affirmative action could be ruled unconstitutional. Here's the problem. The New York Times article focuses very little on applications and admissions and the acceptance process. It's focusing instead on recruiting. Here's one of the many pieces from there. Many education experts say that such a decision could not only lead to changes in who is admitted, but also jeopardize 
long-established strategies that colleges have used to build diverse classes, including programs that are intended to reach specific racial and ethnic groups for scholarships, honors programs, and recruitment. However, this is me talking again, not the Times. However, there's no indication that the Supreme Court would write a decision that was so broad that recruitment is affected. People recruit and have massive recruitment drives of different demographics all the time. There are specific organizations within universities that target demographics based on demographics. There's nothing in the Supreme Court's questions to the lawyers defending those universities. There's nothing in the way the conservatives spoke that indicates they were against the idea of recruiting based on race. So if recruitment to various demographic groups goes down, that's not the fault of conservatives on the Supreme Court. That's the fault of universities. Which means the whole lack of diversity problem isn't a structural racism thing. It isn't society trying to keep minority groups out of schools. It's the universities. It puts the universities under a microscope and shows that their recruitment recruitment process has always been to appease some sort of statistic rather than actually going after people they think deserve to be on the campus. Nobody is telling universities, hey, of go, ruling against affirmative action means you can't go and recruit people based on their demographics. No, nope. nobody's saying that. Nobody's calling for that. Now, the New York Times is writing this panic porn because that's what they do. But there's nobody who's actually making that call. There's nobody out there who's actually saying that universities should stop recruiting based on demographic. That's just ridiculous. Everybody does it. Everybody is looking for people not just because of their qualifications and not just of their demographic, but a mixture of the two. It would not be systemic racism if universities stopped doing it because the Supreme Court said you cannot admit people based on their race. That's a fault of the universities who have just decided to drop their diversity and recruitment because they don't want to anymore. That kind of undermines the whole affirmative action justification because if you stop recruiting them and they stop applying, that's not on affirmative action going away. That's on the university. That's on the administrators. That's on those recruitment offices. They have recruitment offices for that reason. If you want to bring more black and brown students into your university, go out and recruit them, offer them scholarships, bring them in. You don't need affirmative action to make you do that. But if they're all worried, if all these recruitment offices and diversity offices are worried about it now, that means they had no intention of actually going after black and brown students based on the actual merits, but instead are going out to fulfill a quota. which I would argue is more racist than 
deciding who to admit or not admit based on the color of their skin. Because when you're treating the black and brown students by a quota, if you're treating them as a quota to meet rather than as objective, as students who can provide value to your campus, you've lost the plot. But it's really interesting to me that the New York Times would write this particular article this way and not actually talk about the admission process and the and, and focus on recruitment, which has nothing to do with affirmative action. Nobody's making the argument. This kind of goes back to the story from a couple of weeks ago, and it's a story that keeps growing, by the way. One of the headlines of the day, I, I sent out the show notes, finally started sending out the show notes again. Sent out show notes for today. One of the stories today... Uh, this is actually at Red State. Uh, Glenn Youngkin, governor of Virginia, is now also getting in on the fight regarding the, remember, it's multiple schools that did not inform their students that they were national merit honors. They got national honors. It costs those students thousands in scholarships when they can't put that on their resume because they weren't told about it. Remember, these administrators didn't want other students' feelings to be hurt, so they didn't tell their National Merit Honors winners. These are, these are students who are in the top percentage of students in the country, and they weren't told they got this honor, they got this recognition. If you put that on a resume, every university wants you. And they throw money at you to get you in. And this costs students thousands of dollars when they don't know they can put that on their resume, when they don't have the certification because their schools didn't tell them. And so now Glenn Youngkin's getting involved. In an interview with a local TV station in North Virginia, Glenn Youngkin said the exact same thing they, talking about Democratic legislators in Virginia, who are pushing back against Youngkin and the Republicans for for fighting and dying on this hill. They said the exact same thing last year when we called for an investigation to Loudoun County and the sexual assault of a young woman of young women and what happened to be the cover up of that. After a grand jury found that, in fact, it had been a cover up and then officials were indicted and subsequently fired. The reality of where we stand in the light of truth versus political posturing comes full circle. The reality is that we have a superintendent in Fairfax schools who has explicitly stated that her top objective is equal outcomes for all students, regardless of the price. That's according to Yunkin. Now we know the price includes paying $450,000 to a liberal consultant to come in and teach the administrators of Fairfax County how to do this. What it appears happened is that principals in schools decided that they were going to systemically withhold accolades and a path to college admission and scholarships from high-performing students. And that's what happened. Cost those students thousands. Now, how does this tie into the affirmative action thing? Again, we have a system that is picking winners and losers based on the color of their skin and based on equity, not equality, equity. And as a result, students 
are constantly suffering on that. They are constantly losing. They are constantly missing out. All because some people in some office somewhere decided to make arbitrary decisions and it becomes school policy and it punishes the students. It doesn't help anybody. It only punishes students. 232-1542. If you want to call and be part of the conversation or send a message through the KPL app chat, we're going to take one more break and we will be back here on the Joe Cunningham Show. News Talk 96.5 KPL. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5 KPL 232-1542. If you want to be part of the conversation have about five minutes left, so by all means, please call in. Let me know your thoughts. Um, so the Biden administration is still in trouble. The document stuff. I'm, it's pretty obvious that there's something else going on here. How did the National Archives know that Trump's records, that that Trump had these documents, but they didn't know that Biden had his documents? I'm suspecting that the claim that a lawyer had gone to close up that office and move Biden stuff out of the office at the Penn Biden Center, I'm thinking that's a cover story. I don't want to sound too conspiratorial here. Just just hear me out because this is something that's been bothering me for a couple days. Donald Trump has been out of office for a lot less time than Biden was prior to becoming president again. Biden had been out of office for over four years. And he was a vice president. He wasn't even a president who could give himself, uh, who could declassify any of those documents. He just had those documents kind of strewn about that, in an unsecure space, I don't care if they were in a safe or anything like that, they were not properly secured areas where you keep those types of government documents. But Joe Biden had been out of office for four years prior to coming back as president. Those documents had been floating around for four years, more than four years, because we're now two years into his administration. And... Donald Trump's been out of office. He was out of office for about a year and a half when the National Archive, and less than that, when the National Archive said, hey, you're missing this stuff. I find it very hard to believe the National Archives didn't know that those documents were with Biden. And the problem here, again, it's not the crime, it's the cover-up. The Biden administration hid this. They hid this from the voters. 
The first set of documents was reported days before the midterm election, and the Biden administration, scared that this might influence the election, kept it hush-hush. But remember, they were quick to come out and condemn Trump and let the Justice Department leak everything they knew about it and make up some stuff that they leaked. Willy-nilly, late summer, early fall. They were more than happy to do that, but when it came to Biden's own documents, they covered it up for two months. The cover-up is the problem here. The Biden administration is claiming it's been transparent the whole way through. The media is not even buying it. CNN, CBS, all of these media outlets that are normally mainstream center-left trying to run cover for Democrats are now saying this doesn't pass the smell test. They're now out there saying this doesn't make sense. You can't tell us that you are being transparent. You cannot tell us that you're being transparent if you hid this for two months. And that's what they're doing. They're claiming transparency, but they covered it up. That's a problem. And it's a problem that they have to come out and admit that they were wrong in. Because nobody else is buying it. And they're undermining their credibility yet again, if they had any left. The Biden administration has basically ceded all ground in prosecuting Trump. There's really no way they can prosecute Trump over the classified documents because, again, they set the standard. The standard they set was it's classified documents. You cannot have classified documents out of a secure environment. Even Democrats are admitting that's kind of embarrassing. But here we are. Thank you guys very much for listening in. I'll be back. Uh, I'm going to have Mark Pope filling in for me tomorrow. I will be back Thursday and Friday here on the Joe Cunningham Show. In the meantime, follow me on Twitter at Joe P. Cunningham, Facebook.com slash Joe Cunningham Show. And, of course, sign up for the show notes. They are back, joecunninghamshow.substack.com. I'll be back in a couple days. Mark Pope in for me tomorrow. Shannon is off sides with Old School Nerd next here on News Talk 96.5. KPL.